0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the Curiously Creative podcast. Curiously Creative loves creativity and inspiring people to follow their own creative curiosities. We hope to bring you a bit of joy and inspiration with everything we do so that you can fall in love with creativity too. I'm your host, Akriti Lee, and each month I share conversations with all kinds of creative people who share their journeys and unique perspectives around their own creativity. We hope these conversations help us understand our own creative process and have the courage to live more creative lives. Wow! Today I'm so humbled to share my chat with the awe-inspiring, wise and insightful Angie Richardson. Angie is a clinically registered and experienced arts therapist who has worked extensively with children for the past 30 years. Through her private practice, Creative Harmony, Angie works with children, teens and adults individually, or with families using a multimodal approach that involves creative visual art making, drama, centre and movement. She is also a registered primary school teacher with counselling and psychotherapy training, as well as a master's degree in arts therapy. She has worked as a behavioural support worker in schools for children with challenging behaviours and has vast experience working in the area of special needs. Her current work involves drama and dance therapy for special needs schools, facilitating arts therapy groups for clients with dementia and those recovering from mental health issues, plus running workshops for the master's program at Whitecliffe and supervising clinical trainees. And if that wasn't enough, she is also a marriage celebrant. Just FYI. Okay, firstly, thank you so much, Angie, for doing this with me. I've been wanting to do this interview for so, so long. Um, And then when I got around to preparing for it um, on KidsLink, Mm I read your bio and I was like, oh my goodness, so many things to talk about. So I'll try not to make this interview like five hours. But the first question generally is to get an idea of your journey so far in the Mm -hmm. sense that how did it start out for you? Because arts therapy, I know, uh, Mm -hmm. was not necessarily the first pathway or first choice. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure, yes, actually arts therapy came quite late in my life, so I started out um, when I left school and did a year of nursing, and I was kicked out of nursing, I had a couple of really oh. good friends and had a great year, but nursing wasn't to be for me. Why were you kicked <laughs> so, out of Oh, nursing? let's just say it was a really good year, all right, one of those memories... And then from there, and it wasn't meant to be. It was actually quite a relief. And from there, I did some um, training in radio broadcasting oh, down wow. in Christchurch. We had a great training session out of that, and thought, "Yeah, I'm going to pursue a career in radio broadcasting." But as things happen, one falls in love and meets someone, and mm. that dream um, didn't eventuate. And I ended up for some time with my partner, and we had a baby very early on. Mm. So life took on a sort of another track. Mm. But there were some foundations that were laid for my much later career in that I had done um, speech and drama as a young child from the age of 10 upwards, uh, which was very good of my mother to have done that. I trained in the end as a speech and drama teacher myself, Mm. and so did my sister. We ran a drama school for some time out in West Auckland.
0: So this was after you had your... So this was
1: before a little bit, and then... Later on we did it again I as see, well, Yes, yeah, okay. so a couple of times I've had this as a little offside thing mm. and really loved what drama has been able to do watching with children and mm. what it did for myself. So I've had my own experience of acting at school and things like that. These are little sort of foundations, so had my children did some other sorts of work, some admin sort of jobs and things, Mm -hmm. and then got to a point where I decided actually I was going to become a teacher. It just fitted in, yeah. I just had a real passion about working for kids from doing the drama school. I thought I "I might train as a teacher. Sort of had a bit of a crisis. Thought about training as a a policewoman and a a whole other raft of things. I wondered what I was going to do with my life. And so just to take a little pause before the teacher training, I did, in my mid-twenties, I did some psychotherapy training, Ah. which was quite young to be doing that sort of training. Mm. And I did about a year of that training um, Mm. over at AIT on the North Shore, the psychotherapy Mm -hmm. course over there. And loved the idea of what it can do with people, but realised I didn't want to be a therapist that worked for years and years with people. So I didn't, yeah, and there was some things going on. So I did the first tier of that course, and I also did some work for the counselling service Lifeline. Lifeline. I That's did right. lifeline training. So, yeah, in yeah. and, and Nelson for a while, I was a lifeline counsellor. So just little pockets of things that have mm. happened. So that ignited, yeah, a, a desire to work with people in that way. That sort of s- sat in the background for a little bit. Did my teacher training later on. And, again, I finished that training and thought, oh, I don't think I'll be a teacher. <laughs> Don't think I'm going to go oh in a classroom. God. But I ended no, up with a job in my, in my lap and I ended up by yes. teaching new entrants for seven and a half years. So, And my joy about working with five-year-olds was their spontaneity.
0: So you did the teacher training. I did. And you did continue I, teaching. I
1: did go on and teach in the end because a job ended up in my lap. So I, I thought maybe this is meant to be. But I did feel like, what is it? The round, the square peg and the round, whatever that saying right. is, I was just not the peg that fitted in. There was yeah. some, very much missing about yeah. it and I just wasn't a natural teacher in that regard of teaching to a curriculum so I thoroughly love being able to enjoy teaching the arts mm. with the children and I incorporated a lot of drama into my program even in terms of being able to write with the children and reading programs were really brought alive by introducing the element of drama and what five-year-olds can do is incredible mm-hmm. so they would be up yeah. and they would be able to create and provide stories that they had written about They'd be able to mm. direct each other mm. in scenes and things And of course painting So what often happens is we all arrive at, Generally if we are brought up in a healthy family environment mm-hmm. That we've arrived at five and we can still be spontaneous We think we can dance, we think we can sing We think we can paint without thinking about it yes. We just do it yeah. So I had these little darlings arriving Full of this life and this energy And then you'd have your year sixes coming in Who may be ten, eleven And you'd get them to to draw and they'd have pencils and felt tips and it was controlled and they were worried about making a mistake. We are doing something very wrong from entering school to the end, I'm just going to throw that in there, where suddenly Mm. we put a value judgement on the arts for our young people yeah, mm-hmm. For all of us So you'll hear adults mm-hmm. saying I can't do, I can't paint yes. Or I can't do this, I can't dance mm-hmm. Whatever it might be And I think because from the word go When we to school And there's a particular way That you're supposed to do things
0: Yes, I mean I was watching this documentary About, I can't remember the name Of this group and organisation That develops these wonderful toys That are for children And school environments That are focused on open-ended play yeah, And that's wonderful. But then it also got me thinking, and I was like, children just play. They play with everything. They, Like you were saying, they just believe they can do it, and they go hard and do it, you know? Absolutely. And they improvise constantly. That's right. So Whether... they play outside in the playground, they're improvising. Yes. Absolutely. It's kind of that thing, like you give them a paper bag, and they still find something to do with it, mm-hmm. you know, rather than even if it's not a toy with a particular agenda. What really is lost is when you get older and you go through the traditional school system... I feel like as adults, we've lost that ability. I feel like adults need more open-ended play than kids. Kids are naturally inherently built in that way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's it's a little bit like going into the classes of the older students in the primary school. And here's all these desks set up. And where's the paintbrushes just out in the paper? It's not. It's put away. And they've got to do formulated sorts of pictures. I remember that I had a bunch coming through into my classroom with my five-year-olds. And I said, What would you like to do? And they saw the dress up clothes, and on it was like they were frothing at the mouth. (laughs) And to see these young boys running up into that box, and they just wanted to dress up and have some fun and play. And play together. Mm. So we're doing something still wrong. I think, oh, I mean, I have great concerns about how we're squishing the arts back out again, but uh, we lose Mm. the sense of spontaneity, we lose this feeling or this capacity that we have that's um, inherent in us Mm. to be creative it's there, yeah there's the fire there and for some reason I think our school system dampened those fires a lot got got a lot to answer for
0: well there's a lot I want to talk about uh, (laughs) around that so I guess guess what i say was
1: it was a great foundation again, this was another piece of my career journey um, where I've taken on some skills and it saw me through a period of time and then I had a health crisis and as so happens for people it it felt like a bit of a life and death I had breast cancer, and while mm. it wasn't a, a death thing, it was certainly a place where I had to reevaluate what I was doing. So mm. I had major surgeries and a whole, yeah, it was quite, I was 39 at the time, so I felt really young, and I just had to question everything about my yes. life again at that point. Yes. And then I went, What is it that I really love doing? So I put into the computer that I love children, that I love drama, that I love helping people. Yeah, up popped the Whitecliff. College of Arts and Designs course, Master of Arts in Arts Therapy. And I said, that's what I've been looking for. Wow. That's what I've been looking for. So I just made these connections that I'd put mm. in. And, yes, yeah, so I applied and went for the interview. And in the interview, I thought, I've come home. I have yeah. found my home. This is where I'm meant to be. It was really, yeah, it wow. was quite something to have that feeling.
0: So not yourself. If you're stuck, just Google. <laughs> <laughs> It does have
1: the answers. <laughs> it absolutely had the answer. It did. Oh, okay. um, and I was accepted onto the course, so I yeah, yeah. did my master's over a, a three-year period, but initially it was two years. Mm. Two years to get the master's as it was um, set up in that time then. And what a time of discovery and recovery is mm. how I would put it.
0: So going back to how you said you're really passionate about children, right? Mm-hmm how did you realize that you did have this passion for the well-being of children that there was a pathway that you wanted to take from there because was there a moment or was it again like you say a series of these experiences with drama and teaching young kids Mm -hmm. and just observing them that kind of ignited that or was Mm. there something else as well? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good
1: question. I think what happens when you come into these sorts of professions and things, you've Mm. generally had your own story. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So we often talk about the wounded healer. Yeah. Yep, who gets into that because of their own past and, and a way of um, recovering from trauma that's gone on for ourselves mm-hmm. and thinking that actually yeah, we would like to work with that to help children. So, yeah, look, I won't go into big detail about it, but certainly there was traumas in my early childhood. Right. Yep. Um and, and later on as mm. well. But certainly I had um, a real empathy for children who had been in really tricky s- circumstances Mm. and really sad situations. So in my classroom, of course, Mm. I was really aware of these five-year-olds coming in who were going through awful things in their home life and they'd be sitting with you and they were expected to learn. And I knew I couldn't possibly be teaching them. They weren't in a space, a psychological or emotional place, but they could be learning. That wasn't what they, they needed to be, something else. So I had a huge motivation for looking outside of the classroom to see what could be brought back into school. So part of my applying for the course had been that I had hoped that I would then end up working in the schools, mm. helping children with psychological and emotional problems and behavioral issues. That it's because you so resonated
0: with those similar experiences and empathize with their inability to really learn mm. fully absolutely. when you're going through that experience. Abs- absolutely. Um, and that resonates with me as well, which is why I'm asking that because I've only, like, literally in the last month or so kind of felt that similar connection where like that there's something to do with children that i'm really really drawn to and part of it is very much to do with that same story of my own experiences as a kid and the things i had to see and then go through that trauma so to speak i used to think that i have like this natural innate intuitive ability with children and i do and i'm really good at with them but it is because of Being able to, my own experiences, and the reason why I asked him that, because I don't know what to do with that pathway just yet, and how Mm. that's going to come about in my work. It's really reassuring to know that, you know, there is ways to kind of figure it out. I might go Google as well. (laughs) well I think then
1: it is finding certainly using a way that really resonates with you yeah. that feels really comfortable that you know mm. is going to have benefits for kids and I think we can get really creative about how we look at doing those sorts of healings that children need yes. uh, Yeah, they're, they're really wonderful for working with in that way and I think what happens is we can see how well it also works with adults but certainly for children I think that thing around having had your own past trauma there is a you can work with such a compassion and I think you can hold also that sense of hope mm. that there is the potential for recovery. I mean some children are going through horrific things that so, yeah one would wonder but I, I just think there is a capacity there and yeah. if we can hold that candle of hope for children in our work then I think that's really important. Yes,
0: that's mm. beautiful. Hopefully that gets clear for me. It's amazing how just a simple question can trigger that. I was reading this book. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Tererai Trent. And there's this book called The Awakened Woman. I highly recommend it if anyone wants to read it. It's just, I'm still reading her. It's beautiful. But it's so deep and asks the most amazing questions that I'm slow going through it. But one of the things it asks you, um, if you don't know what you want to do with your life, ask this question. What breaks your heart?
1: Uh That's an interesting way to phrase a question, isn't it? What What breaks breaks your heart?
0: heart. Because I'm like, oh, I'm a graphic designer, I do this, I'm a dancer, you know, I do creative, I do podcasts, and I was like... But none of that came into that answer. The first thing that came up, what breaks my heart, is seeing kids suffer. And that's kind of changed. It's amazing how just one trigger like that can really... Set of your thought patterns in different ways, right. and re-examine your own past experiences.
1: I think to um, so. bring a really fine focus down. I mean, that's yeah. quite uh, quite a focusing sort of a question, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of things that could break one's heart, but yeah. to really go to the heart of your own the, heart, that's right. where it is, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So when you googled, you know, all the put those different things, and arts therapy came up, and you went mm-hmm. through that. So that was a, a pivoting moment in the sense that as soon as you saw that. The arts theory come up. You knew that this is what you wanted to do.
1: I it just felt some, so right when yeah. that popped up. I just went, "This is it." And I, I guess what I've left out a really important little piece mm. in this, actually, and it was part of the reason, of course, why why I was accepted in the end for going in, because I had had my own. Personal journey of experiencing healing from the arts myself. I
0: see. So okay. this is
1: a really important piece, mm. I think, in thinking that you can then go on and help other people. But actually, you need to have had an experience yourself. Mm. So I had a marriage break up. It was our, our third one, mm. but it was to be the final one, and it was a very hard parting. Mm. From my husband at the time I was in my 30s And I remember looking in the mirror And when I looked in the mirror I thought I, I don't recognise who's looking back to me It was quite a surreal And this dislocation about oneself Feeling, yeah, it was just extraordinary And I realised I was in quite a bad way mm. <clears throat> And a friend of mine said Why don't you come and attend Some improvisation classes That have been run locally I think mm. you'd really enjoy them I thought oh, I just don't think I'm in any space for anything at the moment. Anyway, after some discussion I decided I would go and um turtled off to this class and I arrived in the building and people were doing very strange things. They were stretching and making noises, just sort of focused on themselves. And I remember sort of creeping around the wall, <laughs> thinking I can see the door and this is not <laughs> for me. So I'm sliding yeah. along, hoping no one Spotted me And then of course the tutor appears And he draws everyone in together So I I kind of felt like my ex (laughs) Stymied so I stayed And Just had the most Incredible session Mm -hmm. So we did warm ups um, Getting us ready for improvising He had special exercises And then he laid out a whole Line of chairs and we all sat down And we were to go get up When we felt we were ready, mm. and do something in front of everyone. Oh, my, what, what, there's, there's no line, there's no topic given, no, there's nothing. Well, I ended up by going up with someone, um, you do paired work, you can go up there, and running with what's happening in that moment. So it's called free-form improvisation. So completely blew my socks off, but I was on a high. And what happened over a period of time was I realised I could be me in the performing space. I could feel myself. I could feel myself being me in the full sense of the word and the sense of myself grew and grew. The more I was in the performing space and I could be a little bit wild again and playful. Mm. So all these things were happening and I'd come back and I would be still this funny me going through this process. But over a period of time, What then happened was I realized I was a performer in the performing space and I was able to carry myself off and bring my whole self back into my life. Mm -hmm. And I'd had this incredible healing. Um, I was integrated again through the experience of using the drama, of being playful. really key of getting into some play, discovering spontaneity, making up stories, using sounds, using movement. I was embodied. I was grounded again. Mm. So it was a really important journey. And I very much thank Steve Hollings, who ran the classes and was an amazing tutor at that time. And so I'd had that pivotal piece of work before I then went on and did the training I see so very valuable mm. and I think quite necessary that one has experienced that mm. before one goes and practices using the art. so yeah we can say we. And, and of course for people would say well that, that's my medicine it yes. keeps me going so yeah yes. I think it does for people as well but to have had such a profound sense of, of mm. what can happen in the space without even knowing why, of course. Fascinating to, to learn how it worked and what have you during the course. Mm. But the other thing that happened on the course for me was also learning about all the other modalities. It's all the other arts that can yes. be used. So I've gone in with a really strong background in, in drama. So for me, even doing a mark on mm-hmm. a piece of paper in front of anyone was really scary. Yes. Really scary, even though you know it was a lovely group and all the rest of it. My own judgments about it, and I was still drawing people in um, like stick figures. But what the course gave me was this sense of being able to use visual art in a way that was really empowering, where I could really express myself in novel ways that words just couldn't do. And I saw it here. I discovered this whole other world. Same with drumming, same with uh, dance, same with poetry writing. So you mm. know these things, but to actually experience them as a way of healing was quite something. So the course was pretty special.
0: So, with Steve Holland, did you say mm-hmm. that those classes that you were doing, how long were you doing those for?
1: I can't remember. I'm thinking it was a couple of years, probably just playing. We'd do little performances at the end of the term, and at one point we did actually do a public performance at the Silo Theatre, um, which was great fun. Yeah, to get up on the stage and again just. Performing in the space, running with your first breath, your first sound, your first movement, and making Mm. up a story from that. Mm. So I've been on and off doing that. I'm not currently um, doing any improvisation at the moment. It's a bit of a gap in my life. But over years, have done different bits and pieces with it. And in fact, I did my dissertation at Whitecliffe on improvisation
0: Ah. and had quite an
1: experience. Wow, (laughs) does that mean...
0: There's one thing to learn, but also you have to immerse yourself in that as well. So it's confronting to face your own judgments of yourself, you know, Mm. because like half the time, or most of the time, you are more judgmental towards yourself, you know, your inner critic is louder, and you tend to be more compassionate towards others. So it's almost the harder work is facing that yourself and going, actually going through that process.
1: I think so. And... uh And and this is this thing about us all learning in different ways Mm. and responding to different people in the way that they might facilitate and things. So I had a really interesting experience with that. Uh, Steve Hollings, the environment of the open form improvisation was a very positive one. You could only give positive feedback, and the, mm. uh, which sounds a bit all oh, nicey nicely, but it wasn't. What it was drawing you into was really oh. noticing what it was that you enjoyed in the performing space. What did you enjoy seeing in other people? So, of course, it was very clear what you hadn't done, because you didn't mention it, but you would really hone in about timing, about pace, um, about aesthetics and things that you really... Mm. Resonated and it really got your juices going, and then in time you would find that that flooded into your own performance persona.
0: Wow, that's interesting. That's a really nice way to look at it because it's not positivity for positivity's sake, no. it's positivity for awareness. Awareness, and there yeah.
1: was some quite some specific skill building in that, so it wasn't all just you know flowery sort of stuff. Mm. We were really taught how to really hone in and do that. So that contrasted sharply, um, because when I was doing my Whitecliffe dissertation, I ended up by doing um, a dissertation on the therapist's identity as an artist, Mm. and I also took the little slant of having had breast cancer and the healing involved in that journey.
0: Right. around that
1: and I ended up by going over to Santa Fe yeah. and doing a improvisation course over there by Ruth I was Living Theatre and Ruth Zipporah was in her early 70s and quite a wild woman, uh, <laughs> full of beans and things and I have never ever experienced a course where I was so psychologically, emotionally and physically Physically extended and broken <laughs> And I think it was, a three, was it a three week period From morning till night in the studio wow. Doing this very structured uh, Very disciplined um, way of learning how to use improvisation Now she did not believe in doing it nicely so she came from the other end of the spectrum mm. Where there was the critic You would get feedback about what you weren't doing right You would get feedback to do it again She would shout She would yell <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I came out quite broken. I thought I'm never going to be doing improvisation again in my life. And i developed quite an exciting persona woman for a little while while well, I'd been doing um, yes. theatre here in Auckland. Quite a wild storyteller, and she kind of... She she was a little bit abusive to people, and she was... she I really got a shock when I met her. So this is my acting persona that yes. appeared for a while. And I loved her to pieces because I could just do anything, and I could be anyone I wanted to do on the stage, and I'd pace about and tell... Outlandish jokes and do awful things Um, Anyway, I arrived here And she just disappeared She completely disappeared on me So I got into the performing space And there was nothing Where had it gone? What had happened? There was absolutely Nothing to fall back on
0: So Mm, mm, it it
1: was A really interesting experience She was very much We were really having to be aware of our Bodies in the space and running with what that meant.
0: Mm, It's that thing like, although it was talking about improvisation or teaching improvisation, it was very structured and creating clear parameters on what you were trying to achieve in that space. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know how they... What's that expression? Limitation... Breeds creativity sometimes. Yes. Whereas, like unlimited possibilities Absolutely. is actually crippling. Crippling. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Which is why all the trainings have had little exercises to build particular skills. You build up a kit eh, of mm. a language of a way of being that you can pull out. So you're really learning to use your body and your mm. breath and your your voice and things in a whole lot of different ways. Absolutely. And it's from those structures and from the structure, can then then you can break out into chaos yeah. and all the yeah. things. And you've got some us
0: Pressure amongst diamonds? Is that something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Sometimes pressure is good. Well, it can
1: be. It can be. I
0: didn't feel so great about it by the end. And
1: we were in the middle of the desert and there were coyotes howling and there were snakes and there were spiders and all sorts of things. And this wild terrain. Wow. So this incredible. And then they would have storms, lightning storms. So the whole experience was quite something. By the end of it, I was. <laughs> I felt completely broken as I said, didn't think I was going to perform again And um, but what happened for me was that I did. I went over to Australia this was the second part of my um, dissertation work mm-hmm. and flew over and did a 10 day intensive with a man called Our Wonder who is the one that's come up with this particular open form improvisation that I've done with Steve Hollins. and mm. he's just a very gorgeous and generous wise man and what I discovered, under his kind tutelage, mm. was actually I had picked up an incredible amount of skills um, over in Santa Fe, and it just needed the right place for me to be able to, to be able to express them.
0: Right, so you unconsciously through that experience have picked up more than you realized. I had. All the
1: old structures had been broken that I'd ever worked with and I was absolutely able Mm. to be in the space and running with that moment. And I had the most incredible experience of performance that I've ever had where I was completely in what we talk about when we use the word flow, Mm. luminous flow, where it was just happening, was just of its own timing, of its own accordance and who knew where it came from. Yeah, having touched that fountain of inner creativity, uh, I was sort of almost outside myself watching how this happened. So yeah, yeah, you kind of, I guess this is what artists experience Mm. in their flow and you're always trying to get back into this space. After the training, after the Whitecliffe training, I went and worked in a special needs school Mm. as a drama therapist. So working predominantly with children who had autism, Yes. Uh, who had cerebral palsy, who had Down syndrome, developmental delay, fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, and a raft of other things. So my experience there was a learning curve that goes straight up in the air. <laughs> there was no curve. So it was learning on the job and i had some wonderful experiences when i first started of having these students and i would be i'd have my little costume on and i'd be encouraging them to join me and suddenly i realized i would be down on the floor barking perhaps like a little dog <laughs> trying to get a little animal thing going yeah. and then i'd look around and they had run so they were running out the door they were climbing on things they were gone there was no one it was just me and my little cape sitting, <laughs> sitting there so slowly my practices as a drama therapist evolved as i as i learned how to contain and interest a group and meet mm. their developmental stages. So
0: mm. Actually, that, that kind of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask. Because now you work in such varied environments that involve such diverse range of people, like you said, teens, adults, you mm-hmm. know, children, elderly. Um, special needs, elderly, mm-hmm. dementia, mm-hmm. You know, for mental health. Mm-hmm. It's so broad and beautiful, but obviously that experience also kind of dictates that you can't take a cookie-cutter approach to teaching and running a group, right? What are some approaches that you take, I guess consciously, that you feel make the arts, the dance, the creativity more accessible, but also inclusive for everyone, say generally or within a classroom environment? Mm-hmm.
1: I guess then it's having an understanding first and foremost about what we believe that the arts are able to do, so that the healing arts, the creative arts, Mm. the expressive arts, that there is this idea that participation in a safe container is inherently healing. So we can say that participating in the arts on the whole, whether it's set out to be healing Mm. or not is therapeutic for us I've got to stress here that it's really important about where it's done and it is a safe container so this idea that of course the other thing that's most important when we're working with that is actually my relationship with who I'm working with Mm. so the arts is here but the relationship is of the utmost importance. So it's building a really strong relationship with whoever it is that I'm working Mm. and having an understanding of what they're coming for, being really clear about what it is that they are coming to see me for. And so am I doing art with them? Are we doing drama? Are we doing a mix? Are we doing dance? What is it that those clients think they're coming for? Mm. And that will inform, obviously, a lot of what's going on but this understanding that everybody is able to participate in the arts. So, you know, I know there's an expression in the dance that if you can walk, you can dance. And I think, no, actually, it's if you can breathe, you can dance, Mm, yeah, I've just had, I've had incredible experiences with students and adults who've had cerebral palsy and can hardly move at all, but have been involved in groups or even individually, and yes, we have danced, yeah. So something then also about a group dynamic, am I working with a group, am I working individually, so that idea if we can get a group energy going Mm. um, about being involved in the arts together and the power of that Mm. and what that can mean for
0: clients. Dance itself is an energy, like it's not a specific thing that you're doing. So.
1: Absolutely, and having a really clear understanding of what it is that your clients will be coming with. Mm. So, I'm thinking, for example, yeah, let's take the dance one, all right? Mm-hmm. So, we, when you and I did group community yes, dancing, yes, yes. yes. So, taking that idea, that participation and belonging, mm. and having a sense of being part of a group, mm. this idea of being part of a fun, playful energy engenders a sense in our bodies of well-being And feeling good about ourselves Even if we can hardly move at all But that we are part of something bigger than ourselves Mm. I think that's really important I mean I think it's very ironic And I I just loved it Because I'd be leading community dance classes For adults with special needs And um, I'm the the child who failed The ballet lessons and things So it was such an irony To be here leading this dance But the sense of being able to get people To a place where you play And you feel comfortable to try things out mm-hmm. that we can extend our body vocabulary in novel ways. So there's something around the arts being able to do something that's a little bit novel, that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And then we want to, we're inspired to try and move differently. We're inspired to move together in some different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think it's on that pl- platform that we are ah, actually we can see each other in different ways. Yes. Yeah. And we can be together in really different ways. So importantly, no judging. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, this is about participation and being together. And having the option, having options to say no, no, don't want to be doing that. I think Mm. for so many client populations, they are told what to do all the time. So I'm thinking of our people with special needs, adults who are in um, centres and things, where often their lives are dominated by being told to suddenly have choice yeah really nice. important. I yes. want to be doing this, and I want to be and if I am, I want to be doing it my own way, and that 's really awesome so it 's inviting participation and people having a turn to have a spotlight and I think for people to be witnessed is yeah. so important I think that's and to be witnessed being creative yeah. is really special just yeah
0: so in in terms of like sort of the constructive ways you design your classes Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm -hmm. is really focusing on what the intention is Mm -hmm. for the people who are going to be there what are the goals what are are they maybe looking for or needing and the other thing is um, making the space feel more inviting in the sense that it makes gives them a choice to experience out of a sense of freedom absolutely Um, some of us who are in a teaching positions with different outlets, whether it be dance, arts, or things, what are some of the techniques and approaches that we can use to maybe cultivate that same sort of environment?
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, look, it's a really important thing around being able to hold a group, mm. yeah, if, you, if that's what you're going to be doing. And because if you can't invoke and enable a really good Group dynamic, people are going to be too scared to explore their capacity for what Mm -hmm. they can do creatively. Um, I think that stuff around judgment comes up really easily. So to to create an environment where people feel safe and accepted is really important. And it's it's things like sitting and starting and having ritual about the processes that Mm. you go through. So really clearly starting off at the beginning. So we. My work always involves sitting in a circle at the beginning, mm-hmm. that we are all seen and acknowledged when we come in, that it's really clear, made clear, the kinds of things that we might be expecting. I mean, you are holding a group and mm. really having awareness of that. So I'm thinking of when I worked with a mental health group on the North Shore, people were coming in for a range of different um, things that they were experiencing depression, anxiety, and you know, it might have been suicide ideation in the past or maybe even current, that we're coming in together and these are strangers together, yeah, how do we set up this this place mm. where we are safe to come and say who we are and share our stories and things together was well, certainly at the beginning about having an opportunity to introduce ourselves in a safe um, way using the art, mm. which is a really lovely way of being, being able to introduce yourself where there was no consideration or worry about how it turned out, so it's making it really clear that we are here for process, which is really important. Mm. And ensuring, as a therapist, that everybody gets to be seen, that one person doesn't dominate proceedings, and being really sensitive and attuned to every individual that is in that group and holding that as well. So, yes, someone's having an off day, just being aware and just checking out that they're okay and holding them, yeah. And then ensuring at the end of it that, yeah, we come back into that circle and you share if you would like to do that. Mm -hmm. And there's no pressure about anything. Again, we're talking about choice. But what's amazing is actually people do want to be seen. So even in a group that I've worked with where people are saying how you know, they suffer from anxiety, they suffer from depression, they want to share their stories. Yes. So there is something really powerful about being witnessed. Um, what I've noticed with the arts is that people are, if you've created this environment, they're able to show themselves in such a different way through the art. Mm. Whether it be dance song, whatever it is, or a visual image, it's a, a way for people to say who they are that if they were just talking might not happen. Yeah. So they talked so suddenly all these big stories were coming out as they presented the yes. images. Yes. I mean extraordinary. Yes. And we knew each other in different ways than had we just been doing talk.
0: Well it yeah. like sometimes you just don't know how to articulate yourself and your story. Um, and taking the pressure of words away and just putting it down, down with whatever tools that you've got in front of you is really li- really liberating
1: yeah absolutely yeah. and often we can have this sensation and these feelings in our body and as adults for some of us you will have some cognitive ideas mm. But teens or kids, or you know, even for all of us at some point might not quite know exactly what it is that's going that's right. on and have the words for what it is. So to be able to use the arts to express it might give give the opportunity to have a different mm. understanding. There's also of course this idea that just doing the process is medicine in itself for the soul. Yes. Yeah. So there might not need the chat. Sometimes in arts therapy, yeah, there will be talk, there will be verbal talk around it, and sometimes it's accepting that the process was the healing, the healing part, part of, it, of it and nothing more needs to happen about that's it. That's
0: right. And I yeah. think that's a, a, no matter what your experience with arts is, that's a nice distinction to be aware of because sometimes there's so much emphasis put on the outcome of what you create, whether it's dance, whether it's a painting, but really the gold is in the process.
1: Absolutely. It's the vehicle. That's yeah, right. It's the vehicle for healing. It is. So mm-hmm. it's, that is very different. That is the, the big difference between going to a class, that's right, where you're concerned about the product. So along the way, while you're doing art therapy, you are increasing your skills. Mm. There'll be little techniques and things that that's you might right. be taught along the way, absolutely. That increases your vocabulary in that area, so that you can express yourself creatively more, yes. but it 's the process of being yeah and sharing that story. So it's mm. not about the, the final product, even though later on people are actually have got a real sense of achievement as well about yes. completing things. I'm thinking of my clients I've worked with who've had dementia and that sense of achievement to complete an image and have um, fun with that or, or get something down that they, they didn't realize they'd still be able to do or actually still learning some new skills mm. and developing things. That sense of achievement that I have completed something and made something yes. myself yes. is amazing.
0: I think also when you haven't had much experience with art as well and there's also this misconception Mm -hmm. that art and creativity for that matter is reserved for certain people Mm -hmm. and vocations only. That if you aren't really interested in pursuing that vocation, then it's not Mm -hmm. worth doing or worth cultivating. But like anything else, like you said, it's not about... The outcome It's that process of just getting it out
1: mm-hmm.
0: and allowing that to do something for you. What are your thoughts on getting people who really don't identify themselves as creative or artistic to really start opening up to the idea, to just giving it a goal?
1: Hmm. Well, I think it comes back, really, to that idea that we talked about right at the beginning, that actually once upon a time when we were little... We experienced mm. the world in creative ways mm. and we didn't think about it. And I'm, so I'm, I need to stress here that I'm talking about people who've grown up in, in functioning in healthy homes yes. because that's, that's certainly not the case for everybody. But uh, this capacity that we have, I think, is really important. And the more that they're looking at with neuroscience and things like that, mm. the more important we can see that it is that if we, all of us, have access to our playfulness mm. yeah. how this can be beneficial in so many areas of our lives and I think what the arts do is they give us this opportunity to get back in touch with that playful aspect of ourselves. Mm. Now it's through getting playful that we can then go on the journey of actually getting into some really deep stuff
0: mm. for all uh. of us,
1: okay, because we know that we can come back, we can be pulled back from it and we can be lifted up again.
0: So would you say maybe to encourage people who don't really engage with the arts or resistant to ex- engaging with the arts or creativity, that to look for something playful for themselves as a way of maybe getting into it and mm-hmm. really seeking play.
1: Absolutely. Drop yeah. the idea of the product, drop the idea of being good or anything like that. It's being able to explore yourself, mm. expand who you are. I think this has a capacity for doing that. And we can see ourselves in different ways. I think it can take us out of the ordinary.
0: And it can be experienced in different ways, right? You don't necessarily need to go do a painting class or drama or even a dance class, right? Even though I do believe movement is very powerful. It could be simple as sometimes just cooking, playing with what you're cooking, you know? Absolutely. Trying a different recipe. Or, um, yes. I don't know, maybe planting a different rose bush in a place that you didn't consider. You know, gardening. Gardening. Um, All
1: those things. I think we're really, when we're talking about, because of course the word mindfulness at the moment is being thrown about a lot, but I think the good part about that particular word is being involved in something that absorbs you. That takes Mm -hmm. you out of the everyday And that can be hands on Where we are using our bodies Where we have an opportunity to feel grounded To actually be in ourselves Rather than all this head stuff That we can get caught up with In this busy life Mm -hmm. that we live Particularly in cities and things That there's an opportunity for a pause and a breath And to come into our being with it and, And to explore our environment in different yes. ways, yeah, yes. and ourselves in different ways. Yes. And I think that's that's a way to grow as to who we are.
0: I want to come back a little bit to the teaching side of things. Thanks. When you know someone is going to show up, a particular group is going to show up, when you're, say, teaching classes, specifically kids, then you do mm. have a certain level of expectation and prep that you can do beforehand mm-hmm. to, yes. to cater for that scenario mm-hmm. and that teaching environment. Mm-hmm. But if you have an open class where you get a whole mm-hmm. different Don't bunch know. of people that are participating in that environment, could be teens, children, um, adults, elderly, as well as uh, potentially people with special needs, how would you go about approaching that scenario Mm. That's, a, that's tricky isn't it It's really tricky <laughs> it's really tricky. <laughs>
1: really you tri- almost have to be, really, t- like, be able to adapt you, you really do. quickly You have to be absolutely flexible And ready to go on the fly So this is this thing about being spontaneous as well mm. So it's having all sorts of little um, tools in your kit That you can pull out That you know that you can do But it is then running in the moment So you're kind of bringing to mind I remember running a group out in South Auckland, which and it was supposed to be a class, uh, a dance class for adults with special needs. So I was all set up with that, and I carry some really cool props and fun things and that. And then what happened was I had they didn't turn up. They had something else that was on, and I had ended up with a couple of adults with special needs. I ended up with some, um, an assistant's son who was there. He was about ten, so he was there. I ended up with one person in a wheelchair, and I ended up with a teenager. So I had this completely hmm. disparate group yes. sitting there looking at me and I thought, how are we going to spend <laughs> the next hour and what are we going to do and how is this going to work? And they're all looking at me. We had the best fun. The hour flew. The young boy said, I want more. Wow. So he was a neurotypical boy. He just happened to be there. It was the holidays. So what did busy. you do? We got playful. Yeah. We absolutely got playful together. I just had some games that we mm-hmm. did together, which sort of broke the ice a little bit. And having had these um, very odd little props and things, and then moving, so moving in a playful way, and we just developed. It was in a big hall. It was how are we going to fill this hall with just this tiny little group of these of, of us when we're all just was remarkable, but I remember at the end of it, this boy saying, oh, but can't we come back next week for more? Aww. It was just delightful. <laughs> so it was having that, it was, it was having a capacity to, to believe actually something can come from nothing.
0: nothing. Yeah, something
1: yes, something can come from this, and trusting those people that they are here and they want something from it too, and they're willing to put something in, even if they couldn't talk.
0: um, It's also letting go of your preconceived notions of how you think a class should run Uh as well. You're not willing to let go of whatever you might have plan absolutely yep <laughs> go out the window and run
1: with something very new yes. and then in the essence I guess we were co-creating together so I was aware of picking something up if I saw there was some interest mm. along the way with something in particular right we could free play around that together and it could grow and then we'd be jumping so it was an absolute improvisation in mm. that sense about working
0: well what I learned from working with you Angie dance therapy that really stuck with me and I love that so much was how that thing you were talking about the ritual that the first thing you do is that's that sitting in the circle yeah. and getting everyone to share something made everyone engage and pay attention to everyone but also what I loved about that is that it took dance not from a space of being able to do something specific mm-hmm. and measurable It just was, again, about that dance as an energy. And and it was largely an environment where you had uh, special needs. Mm. But what really stuck with me on that was how every person had something to share. So you focused on that person's abilities more than the so-called disability. And, you know, I'll be honest here, I remember when you come around the room and there was this one boy, I think he has cerebral palsy, sitting in his wheelchair and i got around to that after and i was like oh how, how is this going to work like he has to give us a move but just a simple gesture of moving his neck and his head and everyone being alert to his body movement and makes you aware of your own body movement mm-hmm. and uh, that was quite beautiful in how inclusive it was, and doesn't matter what the ability was, that Mm -hmm. it really is putting the onus, like you said, giving the people the freedom to share what they have to share, and then making everyone alert in that process.
1: Absolutely. A real honouring. Of People's presence that's right, of being present here in the space, it is honouring because it's a privilege to be sitting here all together, yes, yes, and that's what it that's what it felt has always felt like for me. It's such a privilege to be here with this group of people Mm. at this particular moment who are willing to come into the space, yes, yeah, and offer something of themselves, absolutely. I, I went
0: into that experience thinking that oh, I would be giving something, but instead I learned and I felt like I got more out of it than... Oh, absolutely, giving, so did yeah, I, I yeah. did,
1: at the end of it. And I would be buzzing, so to come out, because oh, I remember some of those classes got really big, they were getting up to 30, yes, 40 people, yes. so it was huge. But that feeling at the end that I was buzzing from it, because they had just given with their energy mm. so much that you could feel that for yourself. Yes. Yeah, so it was just a learning all the time.
0: And there was a cool-down at the end as well. One of my favorite was with the hands, mm-hmm. and how... The the movement was about sharing a connection as opposed to completing a move in a specific way. You know, and I think that's. about the hands, yeah, mirroring the hands.
1: So tuning into each other. Yes. Beautiful absolutely beautiful and people being very respectful and quiet you can just feel that energy just Mm. dropping as people are looking into each other's eyes they're following movements and paying real attention so we're watching each other in ways that we don't always in conversation Mm. sometimes we can be dashing on ahead but you have to be in the space and really be following Closely. Oh, yeah, mm. beautiful. There's some beautiful things there. So some, mm-hmm. you were right. So structuring that circle at the beginning, very clear. We know why we're coming together. We acknowledge each person in the group. Yes. I see you. Yes. You are here. Um, and we all see you. And we have something to offer. Mm. And absolutely not making it that, um, that it's scary or anything, something quite simple. But that has meaning. Yes. And then, finishing off at the end, yeah no matter what the different group is with, are coming in together, so that circle um, which is so powerful, and we share what we've done, and we mm. are here together, it might not be you know in great depth or anything, but we're here together, and we have a cool down together.
0: Have you found or noticed any differences in the way you approach creativity between when you were a classroom teacher? Mm versus now as an arts and movement therapist?
1: Very different. I'm very grateful to my teaching experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's been very helpful in learning how to uh, manage groups because at times, yeah, there is a sense of that, especially if you're running a really big group. So there's been a lot of skills that I've heard, but the two, the teaching and -hmm. being the therapist, are very different. So my primary concern, I'm not looking at... um, teaching people things so it's more about being able to be in a place where I can attune to people and sit and be with them so that I that I can get a sense of who they are that they can feel safe with me and comfortable Mm -hmm. that they want to share some things that Mm. might be useful for them in their healing journey might be part of their story that they needs to be shared to be healed um, it might be that they've come along, actually, and they're wanting to be invigorated in life. That mm. might be the outcome they're wanting, and what does that look like for them? So it's being really aware of having some things, but really listening and following a client's own process. So inviting right. the arts. So saying, this is what I've got on offer. If I'm just thinking if I've got having private clients. These are all the different things, and you mm. might not know how to, what to use or what yes. to do at this point. I can help you a little bit by that. People are amazing. I'll tell you what, children are probably best at it, finding their own medicine that they need at that time. So if I've had children clients coming to my therapy room and I've got drums and I've got a sand tray with cymbals and I've got paints and I've got things that you can make and I've got clay and things, and I'll give them a little tiny introduction. It might be drama. I've got props and masks. little introduction. Children in particular... Will find the very thing that they need to use that's going to help them heal. So for one child, it might just be having a journey through the sand tray process. Mm. For another child, it might be storytelling and drama. And for another, it might be going through the process of painting. Yes. And they will find it, even if they're surprised themselves (laughs) (laughs) about what they've. Oh, but I've had children. I don't know why I've drawn this or painted this as Anu but I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. And really finding a fascination with their own process. To yes. um, so they they follow their
0: intuition, I defy- guess.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. To get, get back in touch, the, yeah. to get back in touch, especially the old ones, the little ones, are, yeah. So for the older ones who have been through the school, mm-hmm. to find actually, I do know what it is that I'm needing and what I want to be doing. So, yeah, and I think that's a lovely thing for adults to, when they get comfortable as well, to find what it is that they need to be doing. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Do you feel you have any tools or practices or mindset that you feel particularly help you be more creative with your work? Or is it similar to what you sort of already mentioned in the sense of creating a space where you just listen and really open yourself into the client's process itself?
1: Yes. I'm going to say yes to the latter
0: part. However,
1: there also is some preparation as well Mm -hmm. that goes on. So I can't just turn up. And just trust that yes. know, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be with you and, yeah. and then uh, magical things will happen. Ha, uh, you know, there needs to be some preparation. Of, mm-hmm. Or if I'm going out to a group, I need to have all my things with me and what am I going to take this time? So yes. I'm thinking, currently I'm working with clients who have addictions and they have had psychiatric disorders yeah. and they might still currently be going through those. And so I'll turn up and I'll have a theme... That I'm I'm thinking that I'll mm. run with and I'll introduce, but also then knowing, right, and then I come in, mm. and how is the group in this moment at this time? And so, yeah, like we talked about before, it might go out the window, what I had yes. in mind, or they might take a touch of it and turn it into what it is that they are needing. So it's been really right. open to that—that you're mm-hmm. yeah, not holding on to my stuff, being really aware of what's going on in the here and now. Yeah. But I've so got some yeah. things here.
0: So it's not turning up being totally frou frou about it, but like you, if you come up with a plan beforehand, then it allows you to be more flexible because you already know what the intention was. Absolutely. Um, even if your, 90% of it goes out the window, but even that 10% is still something, it's still something that you that can right. roll with without being a complete shock to the system. And You're like, <laughs> oh crap, now what? <laughs>
1: Again, it depends on the group because sometimes yes. some of the art therapy groups are more about open studio. I so see. I'm thinking a little bit about the clients that I've worked with who've had dementia oh, and I've just absolutely adored working with them. Um, and I might be working for a phase of time where they are, each individual is very much caught up in mm. their own process and trying some things out that they want to be doing. We found an interest for them yes. in visual art that they're wanting to work yes. with. So it's already there, so I'm mm. not having to direct in that sense. So it, does de- yeah, it depends how the group's been set up. Gotcha. Yep.
0: What about when you're just stuck for inspiration can you trace back to any moment where just in relation to perhaps your work and the things that you have to create or put together have you ever felt stuck or unmotivated in any way and and mm. when you have been in those sure. in those spaces yeah how have you resolved resolved that for yeah, yourself absolutely. to really get inspired again or motivated or just pick yourself up mm. and really go for it
1: Yeah. Look, I think there's a point in time where one would have to question, it would depend where where one was at and the Mm. different reasons for having gotten to that space. But I think if you're working with people and actually you're having that feeling quite often, you would need to evaluate whether it it is good practice for them and for yourself actually to be continuing with that particular client population, whoever it is that you're working with. Is it time actually for a break? So there can be times in our lives I think, actually, yeah, we need to have oh, a little right. break. We've run out of steam and juice. Okay. It can be like yeah. that for any job. Yes. I think we're very good at sticking around sometimes too long, mm-hmm. and we grizzle about that we don't enjoy it, and we're doing this. Well, actually, it might be time to move on. It might be time for a change or something right. like that. So, so that's at the yeah, extreme end, see, all right?
0: Yeah, so that's having a real sense for yourself. So when you're in that moment, mm-hmm. you really reevaluate and I, go, yes. uh, maybe, do you need a break? Yeah. or um, maybe perhaps it's time to move to something new. Yeah, time yeah? For,
1: absolutely I've yeah. done that a few times, quite a I few see. times where yeah. I've said actually you, you've now reached a point of saturation perhaps mm-hmm. and you are ready to be um, reinvigorated and actually this client group, um, you've yeah, they deserve some something better at this point in time. You've run mm-hmm. out of the energy for this, so yes. actually, yeah, there yeah. uh, might be time for something new. So that's at yeah. one extreme end, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really good life lesson for a lot of us mm-hmm. to take on you, yeah, because yeah. we can stay on too long sometimes. Because it
0: becomes habitual. It
1: right? does, and yeah. we we get, get concerned about getting an income. We get concerned about this and that, and then yes. sometimes it's yeah, does it yeah. yeah, being able to take the plunge and actually make those hard decisions. I think a step back from that. I think it's really taking ownership mm. that you might have run dry a little bit. And yes. it might be going off and doing some a retreat somewhere where actually you're being fed and, and or doing some professional development where along the way you are being fed some new ideas yes. and some things. Yeah. Go and back re- to learning. Absolutely. Go yes. back to learning, yes. and experiencing yourself and, and being the one that's been given to. So recharge your energies in that way. Try something new. Try an art process that you might might not have um, tried out before it might be a bit scary
0: go and have a go. I think that's really yeah. important for people in teaching positions as well because sometimes you get so into this routine of giving and teaching and teaching and teaching but you realize that you need to learn yourself you know Our like abs- the teaching is fulfilled by your extended gender. learning.
1: Look, and the biggest thing you can bring, I think, is a sense of enthusiasm. Yes. Reconnecting
0: with how much you enjoy what you're teaching in the first place. Absolutely. How
1: can you be inspiring for others unless you're feeling inspired yourself? It's, it's crucial. That's not to yeah. say that every day is fantastic no. and loud and wild <laughs> yeah, and juicy yeah, and all yeah. the rest of it. But along the way, there needs to be a good portion of that. Yes. Or being able to hold spaces and things. If you're feeling bored and listless and stressed and those things, mm. you absolutely, for all of us, we need to be re-looking at how we're living and doing it. Yes. Yeah.
0: When I was reading your bio on KidsLink, one sentence really kind of resonated with me where you mentioned how there is an importance, but also an ease in which the expressive arts can be incorporated into a curriculum to support and enrich a student's learning. Mm-hmm. Can you share a bit on why this is important and how it's easier and more possible than perhaps we think? Because there is, mm-hmm. in terms of you know school curriculum, there is a little bit of resistance in, in, in including that. Uh, based on the traditional educational structures that are already so firmly in in place. Yes, so why is it important to incorporate expressive arts into the curriculum, but also how is it easier than most people think it is?
1: Mm. So there's a couple of little questions in there Mm. to, to answer to. I think what happens is we have a very full curriculum so time becomes of the essence yes. so, and, and this idea about the three hours and things and all those things are really important I think we can do it a lot more creatively and I think we're going to need to Because actually what we're talking about is an education for young children. We have no idea how the workforce is going to look like Mm. by the time they leave it. So we already know that, that we're needing to have students who are creative, that they can adapt and be flexible and all those things. So what I found in my own practice in a sense was, actually you can get a lot achieved by using the arts and you can cover lots of the different curriculums. So as I said, if I was doing um, writing and things, Mm. absolutely, then we would be writing stories that we knew that we were going to be enacting and things like mm. that, so that there was a real motivation. So I five-year-old boys who would not stop writing in the morning, because they knew, even though they're struggling with their pencil, because they knew that something was going to come of it later. It wasn't just going to wow. be a piece in a book. Yeah. And I think that the idea of group work, so I know that doesn't work for everyone, but that idea that we've got group work happening in there... The arts allow the development of how to work together alongside, Mm. offer ideas and sharing in novel ways. And I think what it also means is the range of different learners that we have from kinesthetic to visual to oral Mm. that actually a lot of children learn better by singing and those sorts of things I think it can open up a whole lot of different ways of actually working Mm. than the old way of doing you know things in a book and just writing and um that actually we could have quite a papuri of things that would meet a lot of learners needs so we've got a lot of children these those that are being diagnosed with dyslexia, for example. Right, well, let's get in there and let's have the assumption that actually all of us need some hands-on things in yes. a whole different way. We all do learn, I'm sure, mm-hmm. much better being able to experience, and I think the arts let us do that in a really in a meaningful way yes. so that we're getting a lot from it. And I think the idea then also that we maintain and build on this capacity to be spontaneous, to be in relationship with each other, Mm-hmm. And to be able to try different things.
0: And so, in terms of bringing it into a curriculum, in what way do you think it's easy to do so? Because I feel like sometimes people think it's like too complicated. Well, I think also this mess. So I think first yes. of all is the
1: idea, actually, that there's going to be a mess created. And there is. So yeah. we need to just go, right, this is going to be a mess. So when yes. this idea that we set our classrooms up with some wet areas, and it doesn't matter how right. this looks, you'll often find you're going to classes and there's things in rows. Look, I just... Uh, So everything's very neat and tight. Actually, we need to let all that go. So there can be a little bit of a mess. So we just say it's okay to have some mess mess. in there. That would be the first thing that I would say. And having uh, materials available, leaving things out in a different way. I think it's just having quite a different mind spin about how a classroom can look and operate. How do we set up places where there can be quiet and how do we set up places where there can be some noise and talk and work and things happening.
0: What are the most important lessons that you're doing?
1: has taught you so far? That people have wonderful capacities for healing, for self-healing that I would say that's incredible that people are courageous One of the most important things for me is kind of, you know, at my age, middle age, getting on, is reflecting back and thinking what an intriguing path I had to get to this career, how blessed I feel to have come to it, Mm -hmm. even though it was later in life and all my life experiences needed to happen for me to be able to do this, that I love the fact that I'm an arts therapist Mm -hmm. and that I love, love being with people and working with them through this modality, that I have the privilege of sharing people's stories, that I have the privilege of seeing people's inner worlds Mm. and being with those that they entrust that with me, and that there is a sharing and a healing through that process. Mm. I'm in awe of the power of the arts to be able to do that, um, and that I'm able to be part of that session. I think oh, Ruth Sepora had a um, beautiful expression around the fact that secrets are burdensome and that this is a process that lets us drip them, leak them, where we can be witness to one another. Mm. And in a sense, there's some alchemy in there. There's um, a sense of, I mean, the old old societies and tribal societies have used and still do, use mm. the arts, um, shamanically, yes. in all sorts of ways, as a power. So I think, in a sense, we've been called to come back to that time for ourselves, yes. where we um, invigorate ourselves in a new way, where there's another way of being together. Um, so, so I've got a beautiful yeah. picture saying, create art, not war, and I think that's probably where we're at. So yeah. That
0: leads into my last quote so well, after, as we have been talking, I was like, hallelujah, I think I've chosen the perfect quote for angie because i like to finish off each interview with a quote and this one's by rachel naomi Remen, where she says that at the deepest level the creative process and the healing process arise from a single source when you are an artist you are a healer a wordless trust of the same mystery is the foundation of your work and integrity what are your thoughts about that? Mm.
1: that? this is a spiritual practice. Yeah, But there's something bigger than this. Something bigger than us all. Yeah. <laughs> Holding us in here, absolutely. And it's a way of, of being present with that. With that mystery and that unknown. Yes. And and I think in that regard, then, I hold a lot of hope for our future. And I mean, I know the universe, um, the, the earth is going through a really turbulent time. And mm. I think that needs to, probably to be happening. I do believe that. And that we can we are capable of finding solutions and things together. And if we hold spiritual hope together, whatever that may look like for mm. each individual, the arts are a way of us being able to come together and cross different lines, I think. And that talks about the mystery in there inherent in that.
0: Awesome. Thank you. you. We'll finish off there. Thank you you so much, Angie. Thank you, darling. So that's it for this episode of Curiously Creative. We hope it has sparked a little or a lot of creativity and curiosity in you. Curiously Creative is a production by Curiously Creative. Who would have thought? So if you'd like to know our comings and goings and check out some more inspiring content, head on over to Curiously Creative dot co dot nz until the next episode with lots of love and a massive splash of joy akriti your creative curiosity advocate oh and if you enjoyed this episode please do leave us a comment on itunes as it helps more people find these conversations